Welcome back, Brown Girls. It's Ashanti Golar, host of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. In today's episode, we are joined by Nanette Cosero, the global president of vaccines at Pfizer. We talk about how the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine was made, how Pfizer is helping make sure there is access to and trust of the vaccine, and debunk some of the latest myths around the vaccine itself. I hope you enjoy this bonus episode. Today, we have a very special guest. I say that every episode, but today we really have a very, very special guest. Nanette, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I am very good and very excited to be here with you, Ashanti. I just know you're going to give our listeners a lot of great, amazing, and necessary information. But in true BGG fashion, we have to start off by talking about the fact that you are a boss. You are a global, international boss. What drew you into healthcare and especially wanting to care about the wellness of Black, Brown, and Indigenous communities? Well, um, I don't know if I see myself as like a big boss. You are. uh, I've had a passion for science and medicine for as long as I can remember, even as a young girl. And I went to school for pharmacology, which is a a brand of, of medicine focused on how medicines work. And while... I was pursuing my doctorate degree. I developed a growing interest in um, in business. I was curious about the kind of impact I could make outside of, of a research lab. So I decided to enroll um, and pursue an MBA in addition to my PhD. And um, this is what drew me to the healthcare industry, that combination of science and business. And my long-term goal was to make a profound and have a profound impact on global public health. So um, I feel very fortunate that now that is exactly what we have been doing during this this epidemic. Also, I, I do think that my Hispanic heritage has been a driving influence on my career. I was born in Puerto Rico and I'm a daughter of immigrants. My dad is from Spain. My mom is from Puerto Rico. And my parents always pushed us to strive for the highest level achievable on everything that we do. Hence the multiple degrees, but also to demonstrate the positive impact and contributions that Hispanics can have in our society. So I ultimately joined Pfizer because I believe on the work that we do towards delivering breakthrough medicines and vaccines that have a profound impact. Um, And I was looking for when I started in this industry and the pandemic has certainly uh, reinforced that. And again, it's it's, uh, uh, almost like a dream come true, even though, of course, uh, I would have preferred that there was no pandemic. Uh, But given the circumstances, I feel very privileged to have been able to be part of, of this period. Unfortunately, it has also reinforced the inequities that exist in our country around the world and in healthcare specifically. 
the lack of resources and disparities in care and access have become even more evident. And this is something that we are becoming more purposeful about addressing as a company and across the industry. And I'm certainly very proud and feel fortunate to be part of it. Thank you so much. And just hearing you speak, I'm so glad that we have you in this role during this time. So we definitely want to talk more about the inequities, everything that you're doing, that Pfizer is doing. But first, can we talk about how is a vaccine made? Let's just kind of start with some of the basics. So can you take us through the process of how a vaccine is created, but then also the urgency that was around creating a vaccine during this specific time? Absolutely. And, um, and I'll keep it high level, but vaccine development is an extremely complex and rigorous process, uh, typically taking around 10 to 15 years to make a vaccine. It is unique even when we compare with other medicines in terms of how complex and specialized it is. So um, let me break it down in terms of phases of development. When scientists are faced with a new virus or bacteria, they will look for potential vaccine candidates by looking at vaccines that have been developed for similar diseases or looking for proteins that could trigger a protective immune response. This happens in what we call the preclinical phase of development, which takes place in the laboratory before a vaccine candidate reaches any human beings. Then comes phase one. In phase one of clinical development, the vaccine is given to a small number of healthy adult volunteers to assess its safety, confirms that it generates an immune response and determine the right dosage that will be needed for this immunological response. And then we move to what we call the phase two of clinical development. In this phase two, it is typically given to several hundred volunteers um, to further assess its state, its safety and immunogenicity, as we call it in the, in the vaccine world. A group that is not given the vaccine is also usually included in this phase as a control, and then we call it the placebo. So we usually have two arms, the active arm, where, um, again, healthy volunteers are given the vaccine, and then the placebo arm, where healthy volunteers are given a placebo. And then we compare those two arms to determine whether the changes in the vaccinated group are attributed to the vaccine or have happened only by chance. Then we move to phase three. And, um, and in phase three is where the vaccine is given to thousands or tens of thousands of volunteers and compare also to a control group to determine if the vaccine is effective, protecting against a specific infectious disease. In this case, COVID, the COVID virus. Um, so phase three trials are often conducted across multiple countries and multiple sites with um, a country to assure the finding of the vaccine performance um, and apply to many different populations. So in phase three, we go to many countries around the world and different sites within those countries. Um, and then we do tens of thousands of people and also then two arms, the active arm and the placebo arm. When the results for, um, of all these clinical trials are available, 
a series of steps are also required for the vaccine to become approved for use, including reviews of the data by public health regulators like the FDA in the United States. A vaccine must be proven to be both safe and effective across a broad population before it will be approved and introduced into any national immunization program. Um, so the bar for vaccine safety and efficacy is extremely high, recognizing that vaccines are given to people who are, of course, otherwise healthy. It is important to know that ongoing monitoring also takes place after the vaccine is introduced in order to continue to track the impact and safety of the vaccine in a large number of people and over a long period of time. So vaccines also have an additional step. In addition to the FDA approval, vaccines different from medicines have an additional step in the approval process that medicines do not have, and that is the review and recommendation by vaccine technical committees like the CDC in the United States, the Center of Disease Control. This um, also technical committee provide recommendations for the use of the vaccine and national immunization programs. So vaccines have two steps, right? The FDA, the regulatory steps, but also the vaccine technical committee steps, which in the case of the United States, like I said, is the CDC. I really appreciate that breakdown because like I'm not a scientist and like after talking to you, I feel like I really understand how vaccines are made. So thank you for really breaking that down for us. And I liked how you talked about the difference between vaccines and medicine, which I think is so important. But you also honed in really on the safety piece because a lot of the anti-vax statements are saying that this vaccine was made too quickly to be safe. You can't trust it, all of that. But you just outlined for us all the different levels that you do globally to ensure the safety. And in full disclosure, I'm vaccinated with Pfizer. That's, that's the one that I wanted. And I felt completely and totally safe getting the vaccine. Absolutely. Like I said, it's, uh, it's a very uh, thorough process that includes the clinical development, the regulatory approval, the vaccine uh, committee's uh, uh, evaluation and recommendation, and then the surveillance that happens afterwards. Just so important. And I do want to get back to the inequities that you spoke about earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about how Pfizer is ensuring that these vaccines physically get out to people who need it? especially underserved communities, people in remote areas, areas with lower or high rates of vaccination. For the people who want the vaccine and need the vaccine, what's some of the work that Pfizer is doing? This is a very important point, right? Um, in the United States and all over the world, um, the distribution of vaccines, as you know, is led by the government and they determine the sites to which we can ship, where we can ship our vaccine, and how much of it can be shipped to each site. 
So this is all determined by each of the governments that we are working with. However, that doesn't mean that we as Pfizer are just sitting back. Uh, we are actually taking very proactive role in partnering with the governments and other stakeholders to support access to the vaccine in underserved communities, in remote areas, and as you saw, um, in areas where we see potential access challenges. So let me highlight two ways where Pfizer is specially engaged. First, you ask about physically getting the vaccine out. And this is an important point because the options for transportation and storage can have major access implications when it comes to vaccine distribution, especially when we're talking about remote areas. And as we uh, were developing our vaccine, we were also developing in parallel innovative packaging and storage to facilitate distribution of the vaccine, not only to remote areas in the United States, but across the entire world. Initially, based on the data that we have at the time of emergency use authorization, the vaccine needed to be shipped and stored, as you probably already know, ultra low temperatures, which um, range um, in the minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit. We specifically designed temperature control thermal shippers, which use dry ice to maintain recommended storage temperature conditions, both in transit and at the vaccination sites, or what we call the point of use. Each shipper also contain a tracking device that allows tracking of vaccines temperatures at all times. At the same time, we continue to generate data that allows for lower temperatures and longer storage of the vaccine, which means that it can be more easily stored by smaller pharmacies or doctor's office. This means that hopefully the vaccine is available closer to people's home, no matter where they live. So that's one area of focus, transportation and storage. I also want to mention that um, our medical team at Pfizer is meeting with healthcare providers constantly in all areas of the country and all communities to educate them about how our vaccine works, how our clinical development process is, and the rigorousness around safety monitoring and also where they can go for resources that might help them in their conversation with their patients. And while this goes a little beyond the physical distribution of the vaccine, it is incredibly important because we know how important those one-on-one -on -one conversations are between doctors or nurses and their patients. Healthcare providers remain the most trusted source of information about vaccination and a strong healthcare provider recommendation is the best predictor of someone ultimately taking the initiative to get vaccinated, to get protected. And this is a perfect segue because you talked about getting good information from your healthcare provider. We know there's a lot of bad information out there. This season on the podcast, we are focusing on the pandemic, how it's impacting communities of color. Our first episode talked about being pro-vaxxer, which I am. 
But doing my research for this season, that meant that I had to go down the anti-vax rabbit hole. It is a dark and scary place, y'all. I do not recommend it. I did not feel good after doing that research. So what are some of the ways that Pfizer is helping to combat just like the anti-vax rhetoric, especially around any breakthrough cases that are happening? That seems to be their biggest thing now to encourage people not to get vaccinated. I I don't understand it. Give us some advice, Nanette. Okay, I'll try. I'll try. We know that the vaccine's effectiveness will only take us so far. People also need to be willing to be protected, to be vaccinated. And while I've had many joyful moments seeing people across the world get vaccinated, including my own family and friends, I've also had some challenging conversations, as you mentioned, right? Uh, Vaccine hesitancy is certainly not new, but there are additional factors at play during this pandemic due to the unprecedented circumstances that we're living. The reasons why people choose not to get vaccinated or delay getting vaccinated also vary between different communities and cultures. Um, But for a lot of people, it comes down to trust or the lack of thereof, right? Um, So a lack of trust in governments, in healthcare, in the pharmaceutical industry, or in the science can all lead to hesitation to get vaccinated. And um, here, unfortunately, is where the anti-vaxxers rhetoric that you mentioned comes into play. And a lot is related to misinformation also, like you you referred to. The reality is that uh, a relatively small amount of anti-vaxxers continue spread information. I mean, we hear so much about, um, about this misinformation, but the reality is that it's really driven by a small group of people. Um, and this group of people are exploiting people's fear and mistrust with false claims that can spread quickly in this great age of social media. And that misinformation can have very dangerous consequences. Um, So from the perspective of what Pfizer can do and is doing to help combat this, we have made a point from the very beginning of the pandemic to be very transparent, more transparent than ever about the development process, the clinical trial process, the regulatory process, and every step that we have taken along the way. We think This is vitally important in building and maintaining public trust, that transparency of information. So we've also made it clear that everything that we do, all decisions that we take are solely driven by science and not by politics at all. And in fact, we entirely self-funded the development of our vaccine to help preserve the separation of our science from politics rather than accepting government funding. In addition, we continue to support community and grassroots organizations across the country in their efforts to develop factual resources and provide educational opportunities for those who need more information or more accurate information um, in their own um, settings in order to, again, make vaccination decisions for themselves or their family. I also want to say, and um, this is on a personal level, and this is not Pfizer talking, but Nanette talking, that I hope that once the trust is there, 
people's sense of social responsibility prevails. Maybe this goes back to what I shared earlier about being the child of an immigrant, but we're not just individuals in this world. We are part of our communities, and it's important that we look out for each other. Vaccination offers an opportunity to help protect not only ourselves, but also our family and our neighbors, um, our community. And there is something very powerful about that, right? And it's part of what makes me so passionate about the role that vaccine plays in public health. Thank you so much for saying that. And yes, just the science is there, the information is there. When I was down the rabbit hole, there was one gentleman who had this entire thread about how he was just correct on how people shouldn't get vaccinated. And then the next tweet was him complaining about how he couldn't figure out his kid's third grade homework. And I'm like, sir, I just threw my phone after that, but okay. So we've talked a lot about the vaccine in the United States, but we do have some international listeners. So can you tell us just a little bit about how the vaccine rollout has also been going abroad? And that's also a, a, a great effort that I'm extremely proud of um, because we have shipped more than 1 billion doses of our vaccine to more than 100 countries and territories around the world. And we expect to manufacture up to 3 billion doses of our vaccine by the end of this year, 2021. Certainly, global equity and access has been a challenge during this pandemic, and it is a big area of focus for many in the global health community, including Pfizer, of course. And in May, we pledged to deliver 1 billion COVID-19 doses to low- and middle-income countries by the end of this year, and another 1 billion next year to help close the access gap. And, um, and this includes 500 million doses, which we provided at not-for-profit price to the U.S. government to support multilateral efforts to address the surge of infection in many parts of the world. And in partnership with governments receiving the donated vaccines, we have been ensuring that these 1 billion doses do reach all points of vaccination around the world. We also have established new manufacturing collaborations, um, including one with BioVac in Cape Town, South Africa, to strengthen sustainable access to vaccines globally, and of course, including South Africa. So throughout the pandemic, we have always said that science will win the fight against COVID-19. And I believe this as strongly today as I did last March of 2020, and we can't lose sight of the fact that everyone, everywhere, deserves the opportunity to benefit from what science makes possible. Wow. This has been a truly inspiring educational interview. So thank you so much, Nanette. Thank you, Pfizer. And thank you, Science. We appreciate everything that you all are doing to keep us safe. Well, thank you, Ashanti, for the opportunity. And, and I'm very confident that with the partnership of, of, of everybody, we will, we will definitely uh, beat this virus. Yes, yes, we will. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. 
and a special thank you to Pfizer for sponsoring this bonus episode. Please take the time to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more information on the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, you can find us at www.thebgguide.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The BG Guide. The Brown Girls Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Mia Network. You can find them at wondermianetwork.com. Until next time, Brown Girls.